Hi there, Rachel here. If you're listening to this episode in May of 2024, I have some big news. After selling out during the holiday season, my Flex of Gold journal is available for pre-order right now and will be shipping to your home by the end of June. To celebrate, we're running an amazing pre-order sale for Mother's Day. Purchase the journal before May 13th and you'll get $10 off every journal. This is our best price of the year, even better than Black Friday, so it's the perfect time to stock up for gifts for family and friends. This three-year journal helps mothers to notice, savor, and write down the fleeting golden moments that they experience with their children each day. So go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to reserve your copy, and you'll also see our brand new cover colors, as well as our new cover option, which is a wipeable vegan leather. So again, go to 3in30podcast.com slash flexofgold to pre-order your journal, and from now until Mother's Day 2024, they'll be marked down by $10 each. I can't wait for you to experience the magic of this beautiful gratitude journal for mothers. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, Episode 149, How to Teach Your Children About Disability. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. A year or so ago, a podcast listener sent me an article that she'd read on the blog Cup of Joe and said, I would love to hear this author on your podcast. As soon as I read the opening paragraphs of that article, I mean literally within sentences, I knew that I needed to get the author of the article, Amy Webb, on the podcast for a conversation about talking to our children about disability. Amy is an artist, writer, mother, and creator of the popular blog, This Little Miggy Stayed Home. As a special needs mom, she advocates for the disability and special needs community through her interviews and writing on her blog and other platforms. She's the author of the award-winning children's book, When Charlie Met Emma, which I promptly purchased as soon as I read her article on Cup of Joe, and it is one of my children's all-time favorites. The message, the writing, the illustrations are all perfection. Amy's second book, Awesomely Emma, just released last week, and it is every bit as fantastic as the first. I firmly believe that these are books that every family needs in their children's library, and I hope that this conversation with the author today will only make the books all the more meaningful for you. To introduce Amy and her work, I want all of you to experience that Cup of Joe article the way that I did, by hearing those compelling opening paragraphs. So I was going to start this episode by reading them to you, but then I thought, why would I read them when I could ask the author herself to do it? So here is Amy setting the stage for our 3 and 30 discussion today by reading the beginning of her article, which is titled Navigating a Special Needs Encounter. Here we go. It was during our routine 18-week ultrasound that we found out our second daughter would be disabled. At the time, hearing the doctor tell us that all of her limbs were, quote, deformed, misshapen, and in some cases missing bones altogether was a gut punch that knocked the wind out of us. I literally couldn't breathe as I sobbed with my face buried in my hands. It's strange to look back at that ultrasound appointment now and realize how differently I view the entire situation. Yes, my daughter's limbs are quite different, thus the common term used to describe her disability as having, quote, limb differences. Her left arm stops above the elbow, a short round nub. Her right arm is a little longer, but still short, with no elbow and a small atypical hand. Her legs are also both shorter and different lengths at that, but she does have two feet, which she uses for fine motor skills like riding and assembling Lego spaceships. 
Yes, the doctor was correct about our limbs, but other than that, he didn't tell us a darn thing. Ultrasound machines are not future-predicting machines. If that ultrasound had been really accurate, our appointment might have gone something like this. Doctor. Looks like your daughter has a wicked sense of humor, an incredibly compassionate heart, and if I'm seeing things correctly, it looks like she'll be born with extra awesome as well. Congrats. It looks like you've got a hell of a kid joining your family. Us. Well, what about the limb difference, Doc? Should we be worried? Doctor chuckles. <laughs> Compared to everything else she's got going on, small potatoes, guys. Like I said, you guys are lucky. Luckily, it didn't take long for us to realize that there was nothing tragic about our daughter or her disability. She was a sweet baby and grew into one of the kindest and most polite toddlers I've ever known. In fact, one of her first words was thank you. She is still extremely tender-hearted to this day, but also has a wicked sense of humor because, you know, balance. As we spent the past 10 years being her parents, we've also become her advocates. It wasn't too long ago that we used to see disability as inherently negative, sad, and undesirable. And because we viewed disability through a negative filter, we were also used to couching our interactions around disability with pity. It wasn't until my daughter was born that I really understood what pity was and how harmful it could be. The line between pity and empathy is razor thin. My general rule to differentiate between the two is that empathy stems from listening to another person's perspective and reacting accordingly. Pity, however, assumes. Assuming that a person with a disability automatically has a harder, sadder life because of their disability. Yes, people with disabilities get down on their lives and their bodies just like we all do. Hair, skin, acne, weight. But there is a big difference between listening to a person's frustrations and then empathizing. Oh, I'm so sorry you're having a bad hair day. That sucks. Versus assuming you know someone's feelings and then commenting or teaching other people how to make those assumptions. Wow, your hair looks really awful today. You must feel so self-conscious. You are so brave for going out in public like that. Nowadays, I see disability with so much color, variance, and possibility. Disability is just another way to exist in this world, and it is not inherently wrong, sad, or undesirable. It just is. I can't wait for you to hear so much more from Amy as we dive deep into this topic today. But first, a couple of quick announcements. First of all, I wanted to share a podcast with you that I have been loving lately called Notes from the Backpack, which is hosted by the National PTA. Sometimes our children forget to share the notes from their backpack that tell us everything that's happening at their school. Am I right? Well, Notes from the Backpack podcast gives parents the inside scoop on how to help our children succeed in school and at home. This podcast discusses real issues with parents and experts, from handling homework to school discipline, and in their new season that just launched, they are tackling timely questions for this unique school year, such as how do I choose online resources that will actually support my kids during school closures? How can I help my child with learning differences thrive right now? And how do I talk to my kids about some of the bigger issues of 2020, such as racial justice and the upcoming election? I have to add that their recent episode, Talking Race and Kid Lit, with author Kwame Alexander, is exceptional. And I will link that in the show notes because I know listeners of 3 and 30 will love it. You can find Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts or at notesfromthebackpack.com. I hope you'll enjoy this resource as much as I have. Second announcement is just a reminder that this month of episodes has been sponsored by BetterHelp, the world's leading provider of online therapy. One of my favorite things about BetterHelp is that it makes it easy to get started with a counselor without overthinking it. Many of my friends have been talking about going to therapy for years, but it feels hard to find a counselor. Where would you even start in order to find a good fit? 
With BetterHelp, you go to their website and fill out a brief but thorough survey about your needs and preferences in a counselor, and they match you with someone within 24 hours. You read over their bio and background, and if it feels like a good fit, you go ahead and schedule your first online appointment. You can be talking to someone within the week. And if at any time you decide that your counselor is not a perfect fit for you, you can request a change at no charge. BetterHelp does counseling for individuals, couples, and teenagers, and right now they're offering 3 and 30 listeners 10% off your first month with the code 3 and 30. So don't go another day overthinking whether or not you should invest in counseling. Go give it a try at betterhelp.com slash 3 and 30. That's betterhelp.com slash 3 and 30. And finally, if you've been listening to the podcast this month, you've heard me mention several times the free podcasting classes that I've been teaching with my podcasting colleague, Monica Packer. We still have a few more of these free classes available to you this week, but I also wanted to let you know that even if you miss the free classes, our full podcasting courses will be available for purchase forevermore. We used to only open them up at certain times of the year, but they will now be available to purchase anytime. So if at some point in the future you decide it's the right time to start or grow a podcast, we would love to help you. You can always go to podcastu.co for all of the details on those courses. And of course, I will link that in the show notes. And now onto the show. Here's my conversation with author Amy Webb about teaching our children about disability. Let's jump in. Amy, welcome to 3 and 30. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It is thrilling for me to be able to have you on to talk about this topic that is so important and also to be able to congratulate you on your new book, which just came out awesomely, Emma. My kids love both of your books so much, and I just think they are an amazing resource for families. So thank you for the work that you do. Oh, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. And today we're, do, we're doing a series for the month of September called You Are Your Child's Most Important Teacher with back to school season in swing. And so today we're going to be talking about how to talk to your children about disability. And I'm so excited that you've come with your three takeaways for us. And we can just dive right in because we have a lot to cover. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you you mentioned the back to school too, because I think this is the best time, like Mm. one of the best times to talk to kids about this, because they're going to have kids who are um, of all abilities in their classroom. Yes. So my first takeaway is bring disability representation into your home. So when my daughter was little, meaning that, you know, she wasn't in school yet. So we were out and about all the time going to playgrounds and going to different story times. We were just constantly in that mode of being aware of the kids around her, being aware of their awareness of her, of teaching them as, I mean, kids would stare and point, they would say things, they would sometimes come up and grab our arms. And I you know, from the very beginning felt like I, I need to be an educator. I want to be a bridge between them and my daughter, because at this age, these are her peers, you know, when she's, she's little enough that, and and also she's not at an age that she can advocate for herself. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, from, from zero to five, that, that fell on us. And I really wanted, you know, the way I had seen with my other daughters, kids, play really easily together at that age, you know, to playground mm-hmm. or park. And so, but when they have these, these questions and they're like, whoa, what's going on? She doesn't have an arm, you know, whoa, why is that wheelchair? There's this huge boundary there. So for so long, I thought, well, kids don't know any better. Like they just don't know any better. And so I, we need to teach them and I'm always going to be open-minded about this. And I'm always going to be really receptive to this. And that, and that is true. Children don't know any better, mm-hmm. but several years into, you know, being her mom and, 
and walking this journey, I, I suddenly realized like, holy crap, the reason children don't know any better is because they don't see disabled bodies in the world around them. Mm. Um, not in their TV shows, not in their Disney movies, not in their children's books. And it was this, it was like a smack on the face, this realization of how the lack of representation on a macro level affected my daughter's ability to move in the world on a micro level. Mm, Yeah. That article that initially drew me to your work, you talk about, you walk parents through how to navigate a special needs encounter when their child asks the question in front of someone with special needs. And you give a great sort of script there, like a a Mm four-step plan of what to do. And I love that. Right. And I want everyone to go read that article. But I love that you're taking this one step further with this takeaway saying, you won't even have to have that awkward conversation with your kid if you've already been um, making sure that disability was represented in your home through the media that they take in. And so the conversation has already happened. So it doesn't have to happen in front of the child with a disability at the park. Right, exactly. And, you know, it's hard because it's like, well, what TV shows are there? They're very limited. You know, what children's program? I mean, they're there. Mm-hmm. But I think also, you know, for me, of course, I'm a children's book author, and I'm not saying this just because of my book. There's a lot of children's books out there, but having a children's book is a great way to start that conversation because oftentimes you're not just going to sit down with your kid and be like, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Did you know that there's some kids in the world that don't have hands? You know, like <laughs> you're just not going to like bring that up out of the blue. Yeah, totally. And so, but if you have a book, you know, so like my book, When Charlie Met Emma, it has a girl with no hands and she's in a wheelchair. And to have that kind of, um, and I say extreme just because extreme example of disability in the sense that it mirrors a lot my daughter's disability and to kids, it, it, it was shocking sometimes. I could see mm-hmm. the shock on their face of like, I didn't know mm-hmm. someone could be born without an arm. What happened? They couldn't wrap their mind around it. And so, you know, to have that extreme show of disability in the home and to see a book and like just already they're going to have a recognition for what it is when they see it and just having various books that you talk about these things. And then it just normalizes, for lack of a better word, it normalizes disability. Mm, Yes. And it's so much safer for them to ask you their questions, any questions they have in whatever words they have, and for you to be able to gently teach them better words inside your home than outside. And you do say in your work, like, don't shush a child, don't rush them away. It's okay if they do ask that question in front of that person to just explain to them, some people are born without hands. Let's talk to her and to reach out and say hello to the person. But hopefully the more that we can teach them at home, then it won't be so shocking for them when they encounter it in the world. Exactly. And, and, you know, and here's the thing, it's interesting because, you know, there are a lot of disabled adults out there and quick interjection. If you are the parent of a child with a disability or special needs, I highly encourage you to listen to and seek out disabled adult voices mm. because you you don't share this identity with your child, most likely. And so you want to learn about that identity from the people who live it. There's a lot of disabled voices out there who say, um, you know, I don't owe you an explanation on my body because what happens mm-hmm. is that a lot of adults will walk up to people who are, you know, disabled adults and be like, oh, what happened? And they're starting with this boundary of like, oh, I don't have to tell you. And so, you know, in my book, When Charlie Met Emma, for people who don't know, it does walk you through that situation of when a little boy goes to the park and he sees a girl and he says, oh my gosh, what happened? What happened to her hands? And I mirror you know, what I view and what many people view. And I say many people because I've interviewed other disabled, you know, special needs families on my blog and 
this was a question that was universally kind of answered the same was don't shush your child and walk away, like stay and have the conversation. And I get sometimes that disabled adults like, well, we don't, we don't want to have to explain our bodies. And that's so true. You shouldn't have to. But at the same time, again, for young children, for children between the age of like zero and five, I'm not going to say it's none of your business. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say you get out of here because again, those were my daughter's peers at that age. I'm trying to build that bridge. Like I want them to stay and play with her at the park. Mm-hmm. I want them to sit by her at the library. But the super secret thing about this book is that like I'm modeling how to do this, but you read that book at home and you won't actually have to do this. Mm-hmm. In public. Like yeah. that's kind of like the, like it's the tricky thing is like exactly what you said. It does model for you should you have that situation, but because you're reading the book, you probably won't have that situation. Yeah. That's so great. That is a secret thing. <laughs> I'd never yeah. thought of that, but right. And I feel like my children are older now. And so, but because we had these conversations when they were younger, they know now that they can ask me anything, but they also know not to do it in front of a person who looks different. And I've just taught them, they can ask me anything, but that in general, we just don't comment about other people's bodies. And that goes for lots of different factors about other people's bodies, you know? And so my son now, I can see like something kind of working in his mind and then he waits and then later he'll say, mom, that person was using a stick to walk down the street. Tell me more about that. Or did you see this or that? And can you explain to me what was going on there? But they know now to wait, but they couldn't have when they were three. Yeah. Right. right. So this is an evolving thing where you need to have an ongoing, they know that it's safe to ask you their questions about anything. Exactly. You'll just explain it in a, in a way that helps them to see the world as more inclusive of what is quote normal, you know, that this, this is normal too. And I love that in when Charlie met Emma, the sort of the line that you use over and over in there is um, you probably haven't memorized. What is (laughs) it that she says? Different isn't weird, sad, bad, or strange. Different is different and different is okay. Or at the end, it becomes different is great. Yes. And I love that. That message is what I've taught my kids over and over now is different is okay. Yes, that is different, but different is okay. And I do think that as kids read your books, they're not just learning about other children. They're also learning about themselves. Mm. And that message that different is okay. And my son once, when we were reading, when Charlie met Emma, my son said, I'm different because I have big emotions and that's okay. Mm, And so he was connecting that we're not just talking about physical differences. Mm -hmm. We're talking about all the ways that children are different from one another and that's okay. And what an incredible message. So you're, like you said, there's a secret there where like (laughs) there's multiple, there's more layers to what you're teaching. You're not just teaching them about disability. You're also teaching them about themselves. Yeah. And the thing is I wanted that to be a universal message because um, gender fluidity if you have a kid who, um, a boy who loves to wear dresses and you're not sure what that's about, but you're going to allow, you know, you're cool with that and you're, and you're going to let him be him or, or, uh, I know people in the LGBT community, you know, for them, that, that message, even though the book is about disability, it's, it's a universal message. Yes, absolutely. And I do feel like that leads really well into your second takeaway. Yes. Yeah. And so, like I said, the, the message of when Charlie met Emma is different, isn't weird, sad, bad, or strange. Different is different and different is okay. So the second takeaway is being different and specifically having a disability is okay. Mm. Because people sometimes are hesitant to say, you know, that person is disabled or have a disability because a generation or two ago, using the word disability was negative. It was because being disabled 
is often seen as inherently negative. So we really want to encourage our children to understand that disability is a normal part of life. The disability community is the largest minority group in the world, roughly 20% of the world's population. I mean, 15 to 20, depending on the statistics you read. It's a population the size of China is disabled. And that this is the one minority group that any of us can join at any time. And Mm. most likely, at some point in time, all of us are going to have some issue of disability, whether we're on crutches for a short while, maybe we're in an accident, or just aging, you know? Yes. But also on top of that, that being born different just happens. We see it all the time in nature. And like even last weekend, we went on this canoeing trip and we found a one-legged frog. We see it like now that, you know, we live this reality, like we see it all the time. Mm. And so I think the importance is that because we often do talk about disability through this lens of pity. Unfortunately, there's so there is a my school district, I live in Ohio, has this really well-meaning program that they teach about disability. And when I was involved with it a couple of years ago, I was like, oh, no, like we, we can't do this. Because they would have children do these exercises of like, you know, put socks on your hands and let's try to button your shirt or unbutton something. And they would ask them questions like, isn't that hard? Wouldn't that be hard if you had to do that all the time? Mm. And they thought that they were teaching empathy, but they were teaching pity. They were teaching them to say, if your body's different, like, look at how hard that would be to do that. Mm. And I said, can we look at this from a different angle? Can we talk about what it would just feel like to be different? And so we did like, what if you danced and you just danced on one leg? And how does that feel? What if you dance sitting on your bottom? Because that's kind of how my daughter does a lot of dancing. And like, just, you still enjoy it, right? Like, and you can still dance, you can still move and we, it's different. Because that empathy and pity lane uh, is so razor thin and people often think they're empathizing when they are instead giving pity. Yes. And, and that's not to say that disability is never hard or frustrating because it is not one thing. There are illnesses, There's pain, there can be pain involved with it. Like I don't want to make it sound like one, that I'm some expert on all things disability or two, that it's it's always awesome, but it is not inherently so. It is not inherently sad. It doesn't inherently make your life harder, less desirable, more difficult. And that people with disabilities, they don't have to overcome their disability. That's another like thing that really gets people in the disability community. Mm. I'm not here to overcome my disability. I'm, this is just, I'm just living my life and I happen to have a disability. Like I'm just yeah. living in this body. And I loved that in that article, that distinction you made between pity and empathy and how mm-hmm. pity is assuming something about right. someone and empathy is listening And then if they say this is really hard, then you can say, I'm so sorry, or what can I do to help? Or I'm here for you. Instead of just assuming that it's hard and assuming that they need your help. I love in your second book, um, Awesomely Emma, I feel like you do a great job showing that sort of the nuance of that where Charlie wants to help Emma, but Emma's not asking for the help. He's just assuming that she wants the help Mm -hmm. and he's actually making her feel small, as you say in the book. And so it's always about listening first before assuming something about someone and teaching your kids that you have to be careful there and say, am I teaching them to have empathy or am I teaching them to pity this group of people? Yeah, right. That's a big thing, you know, because my daughter sometimes does talk about not liking the fact that she has limb differences. Mm -hmm. She does sometimes wish that she didn't. And she has, and I don't talk a lot about that because that's her story to tell. But also, like, I would say in the same way that sometimes I look at my body and like, I wish my thighs didn't look like that. I wish, you know, and the thing is, is like, 
day in and day out, she, she doesn't feel that way. One day we were talking about how someone said something that made it, you know, like they felt bad for her. And she was like, what? They felt bad for me? Why? My life is epic. <laughs> and she's like, I don't want that. And, and so that's the thing is like before she even knew what the word pity meant, she could pick up on those vibes mm. from a person and be like, get back with that, that energy. She, yeah. And truly, she was just like, what? You know, because sometimes kids would walk up to the playground and be like, I feel bad for you. And she's like, what? Get out of here. Why? You know? Yes. And so, yeah, she didn't want that. She doesn't want your pity. Yes. And it is hard because we think we're too, sometimes we think it's kind. We think it's, it's empathy and it's not. Yeah. And I feel like this leads to a question that I want to ask you about person first language. I did an episode recently with a mom um, who has a son who has diabetes. And I mentioned on there something about person first language. And I have a friend who messaged me afterwards. And she said, Hey, I just wanted to let you know that some people want to be defined by their disability, because by insisting upon person first language, you're kind of saying that it's bad, that their disability Mm -hmm. is bad. And so she corrected me on that. And I was so grateful. And so I wanted to hear from you and everything that you know, can you just tell us a little bit more about that person first language and when it's problematic and how we should navigate that as parents when we're teaching our kids? Sure. So again, not an expert. This is what I've learned from different communities. So there are some communities that are very I would say adamant about person first language and the Mm. community that comes to mind first and foremost is um, the down syndrome community. And I, Mm. I think for them, person first language is important because some people would say, Oh, that's a downs child or like he's downs or something like people will refer to them as downs and they felt like that was removing their humanity. And now I know, for example, the autism community prefers on the whole identity first language. And actually, I should go back and say, if you are not sure, you should always ask the person and whatever that person prefers, that's what you should use. And that can get tricky, just like it can with other, you know, like gender pronouns or things like that. But if you if you aren't sure, ask, but going back to then identity first language, people with disabilities are now starting to really embrace disability as an identity. Whereas for so long, it was something to hide from. It was something to minimize as much as possible. But now we're seeing that, you know, this, they're proud of this identity and they're, they want to live fully in their identity. And, and the idea that like, oh, we have to emphasize the person first, once again, speaks to the idea that we're worried that if we don't emphasize that, that people will see them, you know, being disabled as like already less than human. And you don't have to do that. Yes. Yeah. And words do matter. Right. They matter tremendously. And when people say like, oh, people get so offended by words or it's it mm-hmm. changes so often, I just can't keep up. Sure. I'm like, well, you need to <laughs> like listen hard. You know, so you said you can ask them, mm-hmm. but I also think that you can just listen yeah. and take note of how they are referring to themselves, if that makes sense. So yeah. if that's an awkward conversation to have and you don't know how to ask them, right. maybe just listen instead. Yeah. While we're in this discussion about words, I do think that words can communicate pity. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, you say your daughter is a wheelchair user. Right. You don't say she is confined to a wheelchair. You don't say wheelchair bound or confined to a wheelchair, right? Because those words carry pity within them. The wheelchair thing, it's it's a big, it is a big deal. A lot of issues come with accessibility. But the problem is, is they're not with 
the wheelchair, it's society who is not accessible is where the problems come in, right? Mm -hmm. It's because her wheelchair is freedom. Her wheelchair Mm -hmm. is accessibility. Her wheelchair is what allows her to get around the way that she does and as quickly as she does. And so I for sure had hangups when she was first getting a wheelchair because I I thought she would be ambulatory. And I thought Mm -hmm. that maybe we wouldn't have to have that. And I thought, okay, maybe it's just temporary just for now or, you know, whatever. And I think part of that was my, obviously my own internalized ableism. I think the other part of it was I've lived in this world for, you know, at that point, 30 some years. And I picked up on the fact that the world was not accessible. And, Mm. um, you know, I think you, you, we internalize those things too. And so anyway, but yes, wheelchairs are freedom. They are not restrictive. The world is restrictive. Hmm. And that, and that we want to make that distinction between, and I, and I try to make that distinction in Austin Lee Emma. That's, that's actually the social model of disability versus the medical model of disability. Hmm. Medical model of disability says your body is wrong and we need to fix your body. The social model of disability says your body's fine. Society needs to adapt for more different bodies, Hmm. more kind of bodies in the world. Yeah. And in the book, Emma writes a letter to get a ramp at her local museum at the front, mm-hmm. not at the back where not she has to go back. around and be, you know, shuttered in the back entrance. So, yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that story comes from a, a you know, personal experience. I wondered. I did wonder. I feel like this is all these takeaways have really built one on the other. But what's your third takeaway? My third takeaway is for parents to know and to teach their children that kindness is not the goal. Friendship and inclusion are the goal. So a lot of times as parents, we want to teach our children just this blanket, like be kind, be kind to everyone, treat everyone with kindness, which is great. I am 100% behind kindness. But again, the reason you have to, first of all, specifically teach your children about disability is because you can tell them to be kind all day long, but they're going to, they see my daughter, they have questions, they have concerns, Mm -hmm. they're like, what, wait, what? And they don't, they're not thinking be kind. They're like, what is happening? Why does she have an arm? Why is she driving a wheelchair? You know? Mm -hmm. And so you, you really do need to teach about disability or be kind won't do anything. And that can go for race and for all other things, but also that being kind can still be done in an exclusionary mindset. So I've interviewed a lot of adults on my blog and, you know, I've asked the question about like bullying and was bullying ever a problem. And, and for one adult, I remember in particular, she was like, no, bullying wasn't ever a problem. People were nice to me. I was just left out. I just was never included. I was just, I didn't have a friend group. People didn't really talk to me. They smiled at me. They were, quote, kind. They were, quote, kind. They might have helped open a door. They'd probably fall over themselves to go open a door because that, you know, (laughs) that happens. We want to feel really good about doing the kind thing, but we want to make sure our kids feel included. And so I always, and, and also to not assume what our kids are able to do or not do. So, for example, my daughter a few years ago, this was just one of the best examples of inclusion in our lives. She had a really good friend at her elementary school and her friend was going to have a birthday party. And one day the mom called me up and she said, you know, my daughter is having a birthday party. You know, we're doing it at the skating rink, you know, a roller skating rink. Like what, uh, you know, should we invite her? Should we not invite her? Like, cause then she, you know, she'd just not be able to come. And, and the mom was like, and I just thought this isn't right. Like, I'm just going to call Amy and we'll just talk this through. Hmm. And so first of all, I just super appreciated the fact that she just called. And mm. said, hey, I don't know what to do here. You know, we really want her to feel included because this was like one of her best friends. So they were like, what, you know, what can we do? And, it, and at first I thought, yeah, I was like, oh, thank you so much for calling. This is great. But yeah, like, I don't know. She can't roller skate. 
And then like we sat on it for like a day or two and, and all of a sudden it was like, oh my gosh, aha, she can borrow her walker from the school because she has this walker. And, you know, we talked to the school and they're like, yeah, that's great. And she like, and this walker's on wheels and she was like just skating around this rink with her best friend in her walker. She had the best time she has ever had at a birthday party. And it was so amazing. And she was, because there have been other parties where she just can't do as much. And, and it was funny that the thing that we thought was going to be the most exclusionary, you know, we did some problem solving and some thinking about it. And it was like, it was the opposite. It was her favorite birthday party that she'd mm. ever been to. And because she was able to be right there with them. And I think that's, that's the thing you have to realize is that like as parents and as, you know, as our kids grow older, they are the, we're the best problem solvers. Like we do this all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if there's a solution, we'll figure, you know, we'll be the ones to help figure it out. And, and also that my daughter, we always say she's the best problem solver for her mm, and, yes. and she leads away. So yeah, just, just remember that it's not about kindness. It's really about inclusion and friendship. Mm, yes. And the mom that I interviewed about raising a child with a chronic condition, her son had diabetes. Like I said, she said that when he was young and she was figuring out how to navigate all of this, the question that she would always ask herself is, how can we make this work? Mm-hmm. And right. I love that question. So yeah. when he, he really wanted to go on the field trip and right. she couldn't go with him, but how can we make this work to make right. sure that he gets his insulin at the right time to make sure. And a story I shared on Instagram, but I've never shared on the podcast is that one of my best friends who I met through the Easter Seals camp that I worked in as a teenager had cerebral palsy and she was a wheelchair user and she used a a talker to communicate a computer. Yeah. She was nonverbal. And when we were in high school, she really wanted to go to prom, but she did not want her mom to go to prom with her. Obviously, you know, like she didn't want her mom right there. She also at times had a G tube to eat. I don't. And so that was tricky with, so her mom, I asked herself this question, how can we make this work? And she and I actually went to different high schools. So her mom called me and said, would you want to bring a date and double with Emily and her date? And you could, cause you're familiar with her care and you could help her. And so her mom figured out, and I was thrilled to go. And so her yeah. mom figured out a way to make that work. And it was, I was just on a double date with my friend and we did hair and makeup together. And it was such a fun night that mother particularly has always been such an example to me of this um, friendship and inclusion are the goal, not just kindness with, with the interactions that Emily has with people. Right. Uh, I love that story. That's so great. I mean, because on the flip side, we have had the other, we've had the birthday party that we knew she wasn't invited to and Mm -hmm. that every other, every other girl in the grade was. Yes. And straight up, my daughter, being my daughter, went up to the girl and said, hey, why was I invited to your birthday? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And she said, well, my mom didn't think you could swim. Yeah. And again, that's just an assumption because she can swim. Right. And and she probably couldn't have at that age independently, but we have floaty. Like, yeah. Like, you think she's never swam? Like, come on. Ask us. Just ask. Yeah. Well, Amy, this has been so, so helpful, so much food for thought. And um, it really isn't just as simple as like a template, you know, and that's why I appreciate that your second book, I feel like builds so well on the first one um, to to have a little more nuance to these discussions around disability with our children. It was a very needed addition. So you've done such a beautiful job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I do feel like the first book is so foundational because of our experience, like knowing kids didn't know, but I actually had the thought today 
wouldn't it be great in like in 10 years of that if when Charlie Madema is so obsolete? Like if people are like, wait, why would he need to, why doesn't he understand what disability is? We see disability everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, of course he knows what disability is. This book doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. It'd be great <laughs> if it's obsolete in like 10 or 15 years. Yes, that would be great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for your work. And thanks for coming on 3 and 30. Thank you. I'm so grateful for Amy's time, and I'm thrilled that her newest book is out in the world to help families navigate the nuances of these conversations about disability with our children. I will link Amy's two books, When Charlie Met Emma and Awesomely Emma, in the show notes, and that actually leads perfectly into the recap of our takeaways. First, bring disability representation into your home so you have a natural way to introduce your children to the fact that people in this world have all different types of bodies and abilities. Children's books are a great way to do this, and I recommend Amy's books wholeheartedly, as well as a few more that I will link in the show notes. Second, teach your children that being different and having a disability is okay and not inherently sad. This is where we navigate the fine line between pity and empathy, and it's important to teach our children not to pity others or make assumptions about their lives, but to instead listen and learn and love them. And that distinction leads very well into our third and final takeaway— Remember that kindness is not the goal. Friendship and inclusion are the goal. This looks like encouraging your children to invite people with different abilities into their circle and not assuming that you know what they can and can't do. Have open conversations with other parents to figure out ways to modify the environment so children with all types of abilities can build deeper friendships. My friends, thank you for joining me in this September series about how we are our children's most important teachers. We've covered a lot and some very important topics. I commend you for caring enough about your children and about the world to do the work to have these conversations with them. It is so worth it. You are doing a really good job, and I hope you have a beautiful week with your family.